Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Andy Stanley Leadership Podcast, a conversation designed to help leaders go further, faster. I'm Andy Stanley, and our entire team, once again, is so excited to have Carol Tomei in the studio with us. And today, we're talking about a topic near and dear, really, to both of us, and that is developing leaders. So, Carol, welcome back. It's so great to be back, Andy. Well, last month was so much fun. And again, this is something that we both are so passionate about. For those of you who don't know, Carol's the chief executive officer of UPS, a role she assumed in June of 2020. And as I said last month, I want us to all pause for just a moment to remember what was going on in June of 2020, a pandemic that triggered international instability, that triggered an economic meltdown five months before a somewhat memorable presidential election. And as I asked Carol last time, did you lose a bet? (laughs) And you actually told us you were in retirement. I was. You were at home on the farm. I was. I was. And then you stepped back into this. I stepped back into it and it's been just a real honor and a pleasure. Well, that's amazing. Um, Carol's actually the 12th CEO for UPS. Before joining UPS, she served as executive vice president and chief financial officer of the home Depot. Uh, She joined the Home Depot in 1995, originally as vice president and treasurer. She began her career. In fact, as I said last time, this is the first time I feel like we needed to have an intermission um, as I (laughs) introduce somebody. There's so much you've accomplished. Uh, She began her career as a commercial lender with United Bank of Denver, which is now Wells Fargo. Uh, Then spent several years as director of banking for Johns Mansfield Corporation. And just before coming to Home Depot, Carol was vice president and treasurer of Riverwood International corporation. Carol and I actually first met at a gathering with UPS executives from all over the world. And um, it was a very intimidating environment for me to walk into. And of course, everybody knows who UPS is and what you do. But just a little bit of a behind the scenes, um, just a reminder of just how extraordinary the organization is. Now, folks who know you personally, Carol, and professionally know that one of your primary passions is developing people, yeah. leadership development. So my, my first question as we jump into this topic that is relevant for all of our podcast listeners, is your passion around leadership development the result of the fact that someone developed you and that you're gonna do for others what someone has done for you? Or is it the result of nobody did it for you and you wish they had and you wanna do for others what nobody did for you or somewhere in the middle? Andy, I've been so incredibly blessed my entire career where I had just mentors and sponsors, people who would take the time to invest in me, Mm. to give me feedback. And I believe that feedback is a gift if you're willing to listen to it. And so I learned from them and wanted to pay it forward uh, by developing others. And I'm, I'm so proud when I think about legacy, it's all about the impact on people. You know, I worked for the Home Depot for, gosh, nearly 25 years. I was the CFO there for 18 of those years. Do you know that I have 16 people who worked for me who are now CFOs of publicly traded companies? Wait a minute. That's amazing. Isn't that cool? For publicly traded companies. How yes. many? 16. So they, I, I hired them, trained them, you know, sponsored them, mentored them, and then they've left to work for another publicly traded company. And the joy on your face, I'm sorry not everyone can see it, the joy on your face tells me for you, this is one of the greatest wins or one of the things that you sincerely celebrate, perhaps as much as anything. Without a doubt. You know, as, a, as an old finance person, you might say the value created when I was CFO is what I should tout. And yes, there was a 450% increase in share owner value while I was a CFO. I don't tout that at all. I tout the impact on people. I'm so proud of them. And, you know, I think they're going to be Oh, I can give you some more data if I if I could. The person who's running uh, Home Depot Canada, 
I hired and trained him. The person who's running Home Depot Mexico, I hired and trained him. The person who is the president of Home Depot, I think he might be the next CEO. I don't know, but I think he might be. I trained him. He worked for me for 12 years. So it is so exciting to think about the people I had an impact at Home Depot. And now at UPS, I get to do it again. Wow. Well, this leads to my next question. Obviously, you didn't just get lucky with the folks who, you know, you came into contact with and you had the opportunity to invest in. So, and this is a question all of our leaders ask because our time is limited. No one has hired us to develop leaders. That's not generally on anybody's job description. That's somebody else's responsibility or you just hope you hire well and they'll figure it out. So how did you choose who to invest that time in that you didn't have to, but you saw their potential? What can you tell us about how to do that? Well, early in my career, I made some mistakes. I made some hiring mistakes. I put the wrong person in the job. And when I realized that and I had to deal with that, that was painful. So I'm like, Carol, go slow to go fast here. Make sure you take the time to put the right person in the job. And then actually, I do think my job is to invest in them. I've got a whole bunch of things on my plate to do, but I do think my job is to invest in the people and help them reach their highest potential, whatever that may be. Mm -hmm. And it's also about putting people before you. You know, I'll tell you a story that I'm just so embarrassed about, but it's true and I learned from it. Early in my career, I, I didn't value the power of the team. I actually thought it was a burden. And I had a woman on my team who needed some counseling and I didn't want to do it because I was too busy doing my own thing. She needed it. And it was time to give her her performance review. And rather than sitting across the table with her and giving her direct feedback and, you know, a, a performance improvement plan, I did it over the phone. And you know what she did? She quit. Mm. And when she quit, I'm like, wow, she didn't, didn't quit the company. She quit me. And that was a real like wake up call. And this was early, early in my career, it was way before Home Depot days. And I'm like, you know what, Carol? Uh-uh, no one's ever gonna quit you. If they leave you, they're leaving you because it's time for them to leave or they're leaving to go to a better job. And that's, you know, that's, you wanna celebrate yep. that, but no one's ever gonna leave you again. And that happened, that incident where she quit me was in the 80s, and since then, no one has quit me. Wow. <laughs> we, we should just all pause and reflect on, on that language. So it's okay for people to leave, yeah. to go do whatever else they need to do. Yes. But you don't want anyone else to quit you. To quit you as a leader. You don't want them to quit you because you failed as a leader. Wow. That's something that's in you. What, what do you say to the person that's like, well, Carol, I mean, good grief. We got to move on with life. I mean, people come and people go and there's just not that sense of tenacity. There's not that sense of care. Is that something that can be learned or is that you either have it or you don't? What do you think? It's something that can be learned. It may not be as, you know, as natural, but it can, if you accept the role of leadership, and not everyone should be in a leader role, by the way, because the ROI can be very low, actually. Just like being a parent, right? You accept the role of parenting. You get all the joy of parenting, but you get all the changing the diapers yep. and the crying at yep. the nighttime, right? If you accept that role, then you got to understand what it is, and that is investing in them and putting them before you. Okay, so Carol, we, I know we need to move on, but isn't that uncorporate? I mean, that's just so uncorporate. It is uncorporate. In fact, I'm kind of freaking people out at UPS because when I sit down to go through talent reviews with them, 
I am deep into the talent reviews and they just want to present. <laughs> they just want to present and move on to the next job. Yeah. I'm like, no, no, no. We're talking about this person and what we're, how we're going to invest in this person and what this person's next role is. And we're going to talk about this person because this person needs to move on. The job has grown bigger than this person. He, he or she needs to move on. And, and, and they're like, oh, you really care? And I'm like, I really care. Mm. I really care. And you should care too. Because together we are stronger. You know, if we've got the best talent on our teams, right? And it's our job. It's our job as leaders. And so my executive leadership team, they all, under know, uh, they all understand my expectations of them wow. in terms of developing their people. Well, that does trickle down or people become so uncomfortable with it, they move on. Or they move on. Because it, yeah. it's just too personal, it's too close. Yeah. That is so powerful. And I'm just guessing, you know, folks who are listening to this are thinking, that is so uncorporate. And it's not only uncorporate, it's in one of the largest corporations in the world. Uh, top 30? Yes, we are a Fortune 30 company, yeah. 543,000 people around the world. Yeah. So, yeah. But it works even there. It's working. Yeah. I think we still have opportunities. Yeah. Remember, I've just been there since June of 2020. <laughs> so we still have opportunities. <laughs> How could we forget, right? <laughs> well, dovetailing into that, you're also a firm believer no one's going to be surprised at this, in servant leadership. Yeah. And that's a phrase that gets talked about all the time. I think everybody knows they're supposed to be and everybody wants to be. But what does that mean for you, servant leadership? Well, I really I have to credit the founders of Home Depot, Bernie Marcus, Arthur Blank, and Ken Langone, because they put together this inverted pyramid management construct mm -hmm. where the leaders are at the bottom of the pyramid and the associates are at the top. And you hear people talking about this, but I saw it in action, which was fantastic. Fantastic to see it in action. You know, making decisions where you, the leaders, bear the weight for the decisions that they make and the actions that they take. They bear that weight and free up the associates just to have fun and take care of the customers. And in my tenure at Home Depot, I saw that pyramid flip around where actually the associates were at the bottom and the leaders were at the top. At one point in my career there, I was being fed every day. I had a car. I had a badge that I would walk into the building and it would take me up to the 22nd floor because I didn't want to stop on any floor and talk to anybody. And can I pause and correct me if I'm wrong, just so our listeners get the picture. So you step onto the elevator, or let's say you get on the second floor, there's seven people in the elevator, you swipe your badge and it goes past all of their floors to yours. Absolutely does. Life was perfect, right? Life was terrible. Because <laughs> here what, here's what happened during that, that brief time. We lost our way. We being the Home Depot lost their way. In fact, they started to lose market share to their largest competitor, lost their way. Do you even speak the name of the largest competitor? You're not allowed. I just can't. It's difficult, it, it's isn't just it? Like, I can't. It's, it would be yes, like- I won't ask you to. It's like at UPS, there's this company in purple. You, you shudder. I, I can't. I, I just can't. <laughs> They're headquartered in Memphis, just in case you want to know who they are, but we just can't talk to them. But when Frank Blank became uh, the CEO of the Home Depot, he flipped that pyramid back upside down. And guess what happened? Even though we went through the worst recessions of the Great Depression, we got through that and we started to gain share again, and a lot of share, and we were just taking it to the competition. So again, proof positive that this servant leadership works. Mm -hmm. If you bear the weight as a leader for the actions that you take and the decisions that you make, and you free up the people to take care of the customers, at UPS's um, world, it's delivering packages. It's moving our world forward by delivering what matters. We bear that weight. We're going to take it to the competition because we are. I remember when I had Frank Blake on the podcast. I don't know if we talked about it on the podcast or offline, but he talked about 
when he came into that position at Home Depot, the, cha- the immediate changes he made. And that's how I knew about the elevator. He told me that story. He said yeah. it was just embarrassing. You just get on the elevator and there's folks who've been waiting and you just ignore them. And so he went in and took, he removed a good number of those perks almost immediately. immediately. Which of course changes the culture. It was so smart. Yeah. It was brilliant, brilliant. So back to the servant leadership concept, was this a value system that in some way you grew up with or was this, did you bump into this in a corporate environment? Does it go beyond your professional life? It goes beyond my professional life. I I love to talk about the Home Depot story, but if I think about how I was raised by my parents, I grew up up in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, which was a town of 3,000 people at that time. And my parents instilled in me to be first, you need to be last and a servant of all. So that was a great lesson to learn as a young child. But a lesson that most people just assume doesn't work in the marketplace. But it does. It does. That's amazing. And it does, and you know, comment on this, it does because people are just people. I mean, people come to work, but then people were people before they got to work. And of course, you know, we dress appropriate and we say all the right things and get all the lingo. But at the end of the day, people are people and they wanna be valued. They want to be loved. They want to know that people embrace them for who they are mm-hmm. and see their potential. And that's just true when we're children. That's true regardless, right? Yeah, I think allowing people to bring their real, genuine, authentic self to work is so very important. It's an important part of being a leader. And I have to tell you, when I went to UPS, I'm like, oh my goodness gracious, our tattoo policy is more restrictive than the U.S. Army. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I think we can let people uncover their tats as long as they're res- respectful. Um, we didn't allow uh, natural hair. So if you were African-American, you couldn't braid or twist or have a fro. Really? Yeah. And, and men could not have facial hair. Now, of course, we want to be professional. Of course we do. But I'm like, hello, bring your authentic self to work every day. That Those may seem like symbolic moves, but really powerful moves from a leadership perspective. And again, this is another topic, but symbolic leadership, especially in a large corporation, pays enormous dividends because especially in your position, you can't do for many, but you can do for one. And those those stories, again, it's symbolic leadership. If I had the opportunity to do this for everyone, I would. So when you make those public changes at the top, especially when it comes to um, how a person presents himself, that just speaks volumes about your overall value system. And I'm sure, again, there was trickle down from that as well. Well, I think we're seeing it in our satisfaction results, which are getting better. So I'm hoping, you know, we're starting to to really move the needle there because it's important to me. Yep. It's important to me for people to want to work there. And was there, if you can answer this, was there a lot of pushback when you came in with, I mean, because the way you've just presented it, it's like you, you got there, you opened up the personnel manual and you're like, what? I mean, was it? <laughs> oh, I... Oh, if I could share with you some of the emails that I received. From insiders. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> there was definite pushback. Yeah. Some, some really Be- quite Because they honest- felt like we're losing something, yeah. didn't they? right. Talk about that because, right. again, when you've been with an organization a long time, or especially if you were around during the days of the founders, it's easy to confuse the growth engine or the thing that fuels productivity is is sometimes we get confused between that and the things that we just held on to because we've always held on to them. And in that moment, you differentiated. You, You essentially said without saying, okay, the tattoo policy is not a means to our success. This is just a thing, right? It's just a thing. And then people push back because they felt like they're losing something core. They did. And particularly, um, 
UPSers who've been with the company for a long time. You know, I've had, we have some UPSers who've worked for us for 50 years or longer. Mm -hmm. They actually knew our founder, Jim Casey, and they're quick to share stories about Jim Casey, who by all reports was a remarkable man, a man ahead of his time. But I'm quick to report back to them that I don't think a beard or a tat is actually changing the way that we are interacting with our customer. And mm. we'll share the stories of amazing UPSers who do life-saving acts every day. That hasn't changed. Mm. They may have a beard while they're doing that life-saving act. Think about it. We have UPSers who are delivering a package. They arrive at a home and they see someone on the ground who needs CPR. They administer CPR. There's their incredible stories of UPS or saving people's lives. And if they do that with a beard or with a tat, I think our founder, Jim Casey, would be just fine with that. <laughs> but not everybody thought so initially. No, no, they, they, they did not. But, you know, I, I've done a few things to try to um, help people understand how I tick, mm-hmm. which is important. So I do a wildly important video every month that goes out to all UPSers. Oh, and wildly important. Wildly important. What's wildly important to me. Gotcha. And none of it's scripted. So I'm just, none of it's scripted. So I'm just talking. And I'm, I also share with people where I've screwed up. And I think that's helpful to show vulnerability because we, 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 we make mistakes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and again, admitting that, learning from that, showing how you've learned, moving on from that, I think that's important too. So I may be doubling down um, from a communication perspective just so people can say, oh, I get why we're doing what we're doing. Well, you brought about change. Change is difficult and you have to push a little extra hard early on to yes. to let people know you're serious. And yes. I get the impression you're serious. Pretty serious. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So um, again, a little bit different topic. How, how has your, if it has, how has your outlook on being a CEO changed since taking on this job? And did it, I mean, I'm sure there were surprises. You've already talked about some. Did it align with your expectations? And maybe what was the biggest surprise? Because I know we've said this, you've had an extraordinary career is this your first CEO? Yeah, yeah. So think about this. Your first job as CEO is, oh, UPS, let's start there. Mm-hmm. You had already retired. Mm-hmm. So there were some expectations. What's been the biggest surprise? And again, how? Wh- what kind of empathy have you gained for other folks who sit at the, at the head of the table? Yeah, so I was told that, that CEO roles are really lonely roles. And I'm like, oh, how lonely can it be? It can't be that lonely. It's extraordinarily lonely. It is. And I'm kind of a social person. And I'm like, oh, you don't want to hang with me? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's lonely. So I've had to understand that, okay, I, I reach out then. So I, you know, I, I'm really blessed. I've got an, an amazing network. So I reach out to my network. Outside the company? Outside the company. Mm-hmm. Um, to my husband now of almost 40 years, who's an amazing support, and to my dear friends. And I let them fill the void mm-hmm. of the loneliness that you get in the company. So you haven't made the mistake of trying to fill it with company insiders because that it. is a mistake. It is a mistake. And, and, and tell from your perspective, why is that a mistake? Because that's the tendency. These are the people I spend most of my time with, my most productive hours with. So why wouldn't I try to pull them into that void? It's, but it's almost always a mistake. Yeah, you get friends of Carol. You can't have friends of Carol. Mm. as people start to play off of each other. The political sides of corporations is pretty fascinating, actually. So you just don't want to get into that whole political uh, for And then you don't want anyone to say it's because he or she is a friend of mm-hmm. Carol. So so I've learned to get comfortable with my loneliness and figure out ways to, to, to fill it. So that's not outside. a corporate myth. It is lonely at the top. It's so lonely. It's supposed to be. Is it? 
Yeah. Okay. Well, you just told us why. I know. It's almost dangerous for it not to be. Yeah, but fair you also just pointed to a very important principle, and I hope our podcast listeners take this in. Because there is a natural void, healthy leaders figure out how to fill it in a healthy way. Healthy way. And if the void remains for too long, it begins to fill itself generally in unhealthy ways, correct? Mm-hmm. And you've been proactive. As you said, you've reached out, you've recognized this, you're not trying to fix it. This is a tension that just has to be managed, it can't be solved. Yeah. And it sounds like you've done it the right way. But then again, you had retired. There you, go. you do not need this job. <laughs> I do not if need you, this if job. If they just mess with you for too long, you're just going back to the farm. Just back to the farm. Yeah. That's right. But I do have some things I need to get done, you know, and I do not want our board to have to go to the outside for the next CEO. Mm. So I'm laser focused on talent development. Yep. So when it's time for me to go, the board will look at the talent and say, oh, we've got several candidates here. Let's pick and they'll yep. pick one. Frank I, talked about the same thing. It's one of the biggest takeaways from just knowing Frank, that that was yeah. in his thinking about when he decided when to step down. Yes. Because he didn't want to steal an opportunity from the person behind him. Yeah. I've never heard a leader say that before. Yeah. And I'll, um, I'll never forget it. So um, speaking of leaders, do you have any advice for aspiring leaders in their early stages? You know, they're just beginning their careers, especially as it relates to, as you've illustrated, investing in other leaders, because there's a tendency to think, well, I don't have anything to offer. I can't fill anybody else's cup. I'm new at this. And so I'm gonna wait till I've accomplished some things before investing in other leaders. And my observation is the leaders who do it early do it forever and the leaders who wait never do it. So, but just in general, advice to young aspiring corporate leaders. Well, they're in such a privileged place because they are uh, digital native. And for us who've been around for a while, we are not. Mm-hmm. So take every opportunity to do reverse mentoring, mentor up, because we are, we are, we need, <laughs> we, yep. we, 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 we must. We take pictures of QR codes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. They're writing them. Yeah. So, you know, if you think about my generation, we, you know, we coded in Cobalt. You know, you can't even find engineers who code in Cobalt any longer. It's all Python and different languages. So just, you know, take advantage of that mm. and mentor up. Take advantage of networks. You know, the power of networks cannot be underestimated. It's just incredible how it can help grow you um, if you leverage your network. And that can be a network in communities or in churches or in schools or however you build your network, but leverage, leverage, leverage that network. And then, you know, my favorite poet is Maya Angelou. And she said this, she said, don't make money your goal. And said, do what you love and do it so well that people can't take their eyes off of you. And as a young leader, I'm Say it one more time. Don't make- Don't make money your goal. Instead, do what you love Mm -hmm. and do it so well that people can't take their eyes off of you. Wow. Well, apparently you've done that. And uh, you're such an easy person to talk to. And you so break the mold of the corporate CEO in terms of image. And people who meet you, I think, are immediately at ease. Of course, I've not met the people who are direct reports to you. Maybe you're a different person at the office. I I don't. It's very difficult to imagine. (laughs) But your disarming manner um, with your tenacity Mm. for the growth of people and ultimately the growth of the company it's just working. And in so many ways, you are an extraordinary role model for men and women in the corporate world and just in the world in, in general. And I'm so glad, even though you may not be, I'm so glad you came out of retirement. What a what a gift, not just to UPS, but really the world in the corporate community. So I'm so grateful that you took some time to come on the podcast. In closing, um, you can just say no to this. Do you think about 
legacy? I mean, I, again, I did the math and the average tenure at UPS for somebody in your role is about nine and a half years. And that's not necessarily a median, but it's, you know, just kind of averaging it all out. So in terms of your legacy, or I can ask it this way, I was in a men's group years ago and we had to answer all these emotional questions, you know, and, and one of them was, um, what, what would we want put on our tombstone? Yeah. And so my answer was, I'm going to be cremated to try to get past having to answer the question, you know, and they didn't let me get <laughs> past it. No, they, that doesn't count. So when you think about, and not personally, but just corporately, what yeah. legacy? So this has been a journey for me. Um, if I go back maybe 20 years ago, I had a wake up call and I'm like, you know, what's going to be on my tombstone? She worked hard. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 This no. was 20 years ago? 20 years ago. Oh. I'm like, nope, that cannot be, that is not my purpose. So I thought long and hard about it. And I said, okay, I want it to read, she made a difference in my life. So that's sort of what I had been talking about for a long time. But then I got to UPS and I'm like, Carol, uh-uh, lots of people can say that. What is your purpose? You know, and how does that then translate into your legacy? So I thought about it a lot and this is what I've landed on. Because it, it really speaks to why I came out of retirement. I lead to inspire. I serve to create. I give to remain. And when I think about the output of that, it's people, it's performance, it's purpose, and then platforms. And platforms are really about what we're doing from a sustainability perspective and from a digital perspective to make sure that UPS is here the next 114 years. Wow. And I know this is off limits, but have you ever considered running for office? I did. And Would you consider it again? I won't. <laughs> because I've been happily married now for almost 40 years. <laughs> and that was the only time, actually, we had strife in our life. Oh, wow. And it was, it was not comfortable because I wanted to do it so badly. Mm. And finally, my husband said, okay. And when he said yes, I'm like, I won't do it because I knew it was the ultimate sacrifice for me. And I love him too much to do that. So I'm like, forget it. I'll go do something else. So it's, it's all good. But there it is again, this, this yeah. deep abiding character, this security around who you are and who you aren't. It's so powerful and it emanates from you. Oh, well, thank and, you. And um, that's a gift to the world. And unfortunately, that's all the time we have, Carol. Thank you so much for being on our podcast. My pleasure. Thank you. And to all of our podcast listeners, wasn't that amazing? Thanks for joining us. And I hope you'll check out the andystanley.com website where you can download the Leadership Podcast Application Guide that includes a summary of this discussion along with questions for your entire team. And be sure to join us next month on the Andy Stanley Leadership Podcast. We'll see you then. 